This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and UConn Health Orthopedic and Sports Medicine. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information and we answer all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it's great to be with you this Saturday morning for our 29th consecutive program in which we are discussing COVID-19. Here's the number. 203,789 Americans are dead from this pandemic and over 7 million confirmed cases in this country. That is staggering. Something we never expected to reach. And we're here because we don't have a plan. Let me give you some information because it's becoming increasingly apparent that we need a personal plan. A plan starts with, all right, our country doesn't have a plan. Our leaders haven't come up with a plan that's effective. So you need to design a plan for yourself and your family. So here's the plan. When you wake up in the morning, assume that you have COVID-19 and everybody around you has COVID-19. And how are you going to stay safe that day? Because it is everywhere. It is in restaurants. It is in hospitals. It is in every store you go to. There is somebody there with COVID-19. So you need to figure out how to protect yourself. The tools we have are masks, social distancing, wash your hands, because we don't have a vaccine. We have the promise of a vaccine that no one has seen yet. We're told we're going to have a vaccine in two weeks, but no one has seen any data about that. So our government is playing a sleight of hand, and specifically the president of the United States. Donald Trump is putting one over on us here. He doesn't have a vaccine ready. The vaccine may be ready next year, but if you think suddenly everybody's going to have it and we're safe and we're out of this mess, you're mistaken. So you need to have a plan to keep yourself and your family and your community safe. The communities, I was reading today, Los Alamos County in New Mexico is one of the safest places to live, the healthiest places to live. Why? Because of water, exercise, accessibility to health care. But you know what else? They've had a very low rate of COVID-19. Why? Because they think like a community. Their community has spent time and effort making sure utility bills were paid for people who couldn't afford it because they were infected. They all got together and put systems in place. They put a plan in place for their community. Fortunately, Connecticut has done pretty well with that. We've had good leadership from the standpoint that we've had a plan to make it safe. And the reason I know that is because I'm going to work tonight at Mohegan Sun, where we have an arena 
and we have people coming in from all over the country, fighters, not fans, to do a pay-per-view fight. We've never done a pay-per-view sporting event with $10 million purse. And this has been going on every week. So what's the importance of that? It's not about athletics. It's not about boxing. It's about the people who are working in that casino, Connecticut citizens who are able to work. We do over 300 tests a week there to make sure that everybody comes to work and leaves safely. We have a plan. Unfortunately, our country does not have a plan. And we'll talk about some of the proposed plans, some of the ridiculous plans that have been proposed by the latest guru, Dr. Scott Atlas, the radiologist. I love radiologists. I work with radiologists. But guess what? When it comes to infectious diseases and public health, I'm not looking to them to help me out. But we're going to talk about that. I'm really excited about my guest today. My guest in the second half of the program is going to be Dr. Antonio Fernandez. Dr. Fernandez is a cardiologist. He's a medical doctor, and he is at Hartford HealthCare. He is the medical director of the cardiac ICU. But his specific area of interest is sports cardiology. And we're going to talk a lot about the recent studies that have shown athletes who get COVID-19 have a change in their heart function, something called cardiomyopathy. And because of that, it takes them longer to recover, and some may not recover. And we're going to talk about why the Big Ten and the Pac-12 originally said no football this year. Why people are saying no football this year. And he's got some good insight into that that is based on data. This date in medicine is September 26th. It's the Feast of Saints Cosmos and Damien. Very interesting. These saints are patron saints of physicians, surgeons, and pharmacists. They were twins. They died in uh, 287 AD. And they were from the Roman provinces of Syria, and they were Christians. And the reason they have been called saints is because they believed in extending health care for no charge okay to those who were in need these two saints in 287 287 AD accepted the concept of a community and keeping that community safe and it's something we're gonna need to get back to in this country in this state, in these cities, we have to start thinking like a community if we're going to make the changes we need in this country. And we have to vote for people who advocate for those changes in our health care system. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back and talk a little bit more about what's going on in health care and the future of health care in this country. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. The phone number's here, 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. You can reach me during the week at info at alessimd.com. 
At the beginning of the program, I mentioned that we don't have a plan in this country. The latest plan being proposed that the president has advocated is herd immunity. You know, you're not seeing Dr. Fauci at these press conferences. You're not seeing Deborah Burks at these press conferences. You're not seeing infectious disease experts. You're seeing a radiologist, Scott Atlas. Why? Because he was on Fox and he is part of a conservative think tank. And he is advocating herd immunity. What is herd immunity? Herd immunity occurs when enough people in a population have antibodies to the virus so that it cannot spread. It was tried in Sweden. It hasn't worked. They have the highest death rate in all of Europe. But let's look at the numbers. I mean, let's 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 really look at what they're advocating. If you assume the U.S. death rate is 5%, which is what we're at, and we know that herd immunity takes between 60 and 70%. Ideally, 70% of your population has to have antibodies. But just for the sake of argument, let's cut that down to only 40%, right? Say 40% of people to reach herd immunity. With a population of 330 million, that means 132 million people will have had to contract the virus. If you have a 5% death rate, right? You know, even if you lowered it to 0.5% of that 132 million, it would be 660,000 deaths. That is not acceptable. Now, that was a figure we were talking about in April, and we're rapidly approaching it, and we still won't get to herd immunity. Why? Because no one knows how long those antibodies last. Right? So when you have the immunity, you have antibodies. The thought is now that even after you get the virus, your antibodies may only be effective for four months. In which case, you're not getting to herd immunity. Thus, a vaccine. But we need to know how long those antibodies you get from the vaccine will last against this virus. No one has shown us the data. And yet, the President of the United States and his group of lackeys are now supporting more and more death to this country. It's, it's, you can't make it up. But let's talk about health policy in the United States. We're going to switch gears a little bit from COVID. In the United States right now, we spend more money on health care than any other nation in the world. Yet, when it comes to life expectancy, childhood health, and avoidable deaths, we lag behind most other industrialized nations. This, this data was published in the New England Journal of Medicine and was looked at very carefully. We spend more and get less. In fact, for the last three years consecutively, the life expectancy for Americans has gradually gone down each year, and we expect it to go down again. Yet we're spending more money on it. So I think we can all agree the system doesn't work. So let's look at the systems available. The original system in 1945, right, 
there was a revision of how we administered health care. It was the end of World War II. Employers wanted to get the best talented people. So they said, we're going to give you something called health insurance. And they provided health insurance as part of employment. That's a system we still have today. But not all employers provide it because it's become so expensive. So there are people out there who go to work every day, put their pants on, and go to work every day and don't get health insurance. And when they get sick, can't go to the doctor without having to pay for it. And that's a problem. I mean, we have other systems. We have Medicaid, and and Medicare is an insurance system for when you become elderly and can't work, or if you're disabled and can't work. But we need a system for those people who do go to work and contribute to this country every day and can't afford insurance. So people have tried to come up with this plan. Hillary Clinton tried to come up with a plan in the 1990s. It failed. But Barack Obama came up with a plan called the Affordable Care Act. And it got passed into law. And it has provided health care for 23 million Americans. 23 million Americans who go to work every day now have some form of health insurance where they can go to a doctor, go to a hospital, and not have to worry about losing anything they own. 23 million. Since COVID, 487,000 people have signed up for that plan. Now, in 2016, Donald Trump was running for president on the basis that he was going to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act. Okay. Maybe you got a better system. You got a better plan. I'm open to that. Nope. We're four years into this, and this man has not shown us a plan. He says he's going to have one in the next two weeks, but he is dead set on repealing, getting rid of what those 23 million people have. By the way, it also addresses the fact that you do not have prejudice against you for prior conditions, prior illnesses. A new prior illness, COVID-19. So, We have 23 million Americans go to work every day, have health insurance now. And next month on November 10th, probably won't have that anymore because today we're going to announce a new Supreme Court justice who will undoubtedly vote that down because that's a condition of getting your job. I'm sure that was part of the job interview. And again, I'm okay with change. I believe I'm somebody who believes that change is good. But what are you giving these 23 million people? Nothing. Not a thing. Uh, There is no comprehensive health care plan in the United States today. You know, we used to be the innovators in the world. Right. We used to innovate. People look to us for our innovation. Now, I think we need to go find out. What are these other countries doing who live longer? Right? I mean, let's look at Japan has the have the best numbers, right? Those people live till they're 84. According to all the data, Austria, China, Spain, Italy, Ireland, Luxembourg, Belgium, Germany. I could go on and on. 
These are all countries where their citizens spend less money and live longer than us. So what are they doing that we're not doing? They have a universal health care plan. Some of it, sometimes it's provided by their government. Others are not. But they have a plan. And we don't. And we die younger. I mean, really, let's be honest, folks. What's it all for? What's it all for if we're going to die younger and live less healthier lives? Because we have no leadership when it comes to health care policy in this country. Give me something. Give me anything that's going to help people, that's going to help these 23 million people. So it's time that we start thinking. We go to that quiet place and start thinking of what are we going to do as we go forward. Because we've got to make some decisions in the next 30 days. We've got to make some decisions on how we're going to live longer and move ahead in the world from where we are now. We're going to take a short break, and we're going to be back with my guest, Dr. Antonio Fernandez. Dr. Fernandez is a board-certified cardiologist. He's the medical director of the cardiac ICU at Hartford Hospital. And he's going to talk to us about COVID and its effect on the heart, and specifically in young, healthy athletes. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. This is Dr. Anthony Alessi, and we're back on Healthy Rounds. And today... Um, my guest is Dr. Antonio Fernandez, who's a cardiologist specializing in sports cardiology. I have tremendous respect for cardiac function, especially in athletes. Let me explain. Yesterday, I was at the Mohegan Sun doing pre-fight physicals on um, fighters who are getting ready to box tonight. And I'm constantly amazed at what phenomenal condition these athletes are in. I mean, we're talking most of the fighters for tonight's fight have heart rates in the 40s, below 50, with blood pressures of 120 over 80, 110 over 70. So it's amazing to me that the human heart could be developed so much that it only has to beat 40 or 50 times a minute to generate that kind of blood pressure. That is an efficient heart. And we see that in many, many athletes. So that's why I really wanted to bring on Dr. Fernandez because we're finding out now that COVID affects athletes' hearts, and that really makes a big difference in terms of health care and health care planning. He is the medical director of the cardiac ICU at Hartford uh, Healthcare and Hartford Hospital. Antonio, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Alessi. Thank you for having me. I guess we're having trouble making the uh, connection there. Um, hello, Antonio. Hi, can you hear me? Hi. Yeah, I can hear you now. Good. Okay, great. Thanks so, for having me. 
Oh, listen, it's great. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about what is sports cardiology? Uh, absolutely. So sports cardiology is really an emerging field um, that started more formally in 2011 by the American College of Cardiology. Um, but we, you know, cardiologists have been seeing athletes uh, historically for years. Um, but this just formalized sort of a dedicated uh, group of people um, who, who are really caring for the athletic heart, uh, whether that will be a competitive um, high school athlete or, you know, a college athlete, a professional athlete, uh, a recreational athlete, the weekend warriors or a master's athlete, um, and even tactical athletes, so people in the military, firemen and police enforcement agents. What are some of the common problems you come up against in athletes from a cardiac standpoint? So we see um, a whole gamut of, of uh, chief complaints, and sometimes we see patients who are or athletes who are being referred to us because of concerns uh, during the pre-participation screening by either their primary care physicians or sports medicine doctors, and they had an abnormal EKG, and they want to know, um, you know, whether they can play or not. Um, Another subgroup of um, athletes that we see are those athletes who have cardiac complaints, so those patients who have chest pain, palpitations, um, you know, decrease in exercise performance that can be explained. Um, and then we have another group of athletes that we see that are really risk assessment. So patients who have nothing or athletes who have nothing wrong with them, but they had a family history where somebody died unexpectedly at a very young age, and they want to know uh, what the risk is during athletics. What kind of testing do you put them through really to, to find these answers out uh, when you screen athletes? Yeah, so we, we um, um, I mean, we have our, our disposal, a lot of, a lot of um, technology and tools that we can do. Uh, it's really tailored to individual athlete, um, but we, we do electrocardiograms, we do echocardiograms, we could do um, cardiac MRIs, and um, uh, individualized stress testing uh, to the specific um, sport discipline, if we can. Um, and then if there are things that require subspecialists, um, sort of the electricians of the heart, electrophysiologists, we sometimes reach out for consultations to other cardiologists. In Europe, one of the controversies, I guess, in sports medicine that's arisen is the need for every athlete to have an echocardiogram or a cardiac workup um, due to the deaths, sudden deaths of multiple athletes. I know in Italy, soccer players, um, everyone gets screened with an echocardiogram. And uh, we don't do that here in the United States. And I know that the data has been going back and forth. Where do we stand on the need to screen all athletes from a cardiac standpoint? Yeah, I think that it's a it's a very interesting question, and particularly uh, now. Um, but it, pre-participation screening or pre-participation examinations in Europe were very different than are very different than the pre-participation screening in the United States. And uh, while the International Olympic Committee and their European Society of Cardiology has endorsed doing um, uh, pre-participation screenings with an ECG. Um, that has been very controversial in the United States. And the American Heart Association at the moment only um, encourages to do a history and physical without an EKG. 
So it's just an EKG as part of the screening. It does not include echocardiography or anything more sophisticated than that. Correct. What? So what are your feelings on that? And no, because we're always hearing about the rare case where a young athlete dies on the field or um, someone who went for their physical. There was just a story on TV about a football player who was being traded to another team, went for his physical, and the next call he gets is you need to get to the hospital immediately and underwent bypass surgery. So, in other words, oh, or is it is it acceptable to be doing EKGs as as a baseline? I know we do that for all professional athletes. The the NBA does that. Um, how come we're not doing it in other sports? Yeah, I think the bigger question is is there is there a um, is it necessary to mandate at a national level to have a pre-participation screening that includes the EKG? And that, I think, is what is controversial. There are very different leagues um, require different things. The NCAA requires a stress echo for uh, most of the basketball players. Um, so each individual league might require different things. Um, in the era of COVID, this has changed drastically. And the way, um, you know, we practice uh uh, screening now for these athletes that are coming back is, is radically different now. So let's let's talk about that uh, from the standpoint that uh, the study was published from Ohio State University uh, where they looked at athletes who were recovering from COVID. They found four of the 26 small sample size, 26 athletes had MRIs of the heart, four of them had myocarditis. Um, where does that leave us in the era of COVID and screening athletes um, from a cardiac standpoint? Yeah, so there, I think there are increasing concerns about the effects of COVID in the heart of athletes. Um, and I will go back a little bit because first, we first heard of COVID and the heart in the sickest of patients, primarily in hospitalized individuals. And we know from, from data from China that one in four had myocardial injury. Um, so, you know, then in April, March, then the question arises and on what does that mean for individuals who had mild infection or uh, they were completely asymptomatic during their infection, you know, um, so fast forward now and there are cases of athletes who, who have COVID and we're trying to figure out, you know, what does that mean for them? Is it safe for them to go back? And, you know, there have been papers that have come out. Uh, one of them was the Ohio State paper in JAMA Cardiology, which basically showed that um, four of those athletes had signs. So they did they did um, blood work, EKG, echocardiograms, and MRIs on, on athletes who came back anywhere between 12 days and 30 days after the acute infection. And what they found was that four of those athletes had signs of um, myocarditis, of, of heart inflammation. So... And these are athletes who had mild symptoms or no symptoms. So um, that that is a cause for pause and, and, and caution. Um, and, and even though we don't know what that means necessarily for going back to sports, um, what it, it highlights in my mind is that the virus might have some enduring effects um, on the heart muscle. So, so yeah. Uh, so from that standpoint... Where are we at with screening? Yeah, so, um, you know, 
given given that this is not acknowledging this is not a non-zero risk proposition that there's always going to be a risk our job i think is to try to mitigate that risk while we're evaluating athletes before they go back to sports and conditioning and training so a few a few professional organizations have put forward uh, position papers that help guide providers on how to screen these patients and these athletes but so there are several tools and they're they're very conservative so they they recommend doing the blood work and echocardiogram and uh, cardiac MRIs. Um, in my mind, I think that the the um, idea situation is to try to focus clinically on each individual athlete because obviously we're not going to be doing MRIs on everybody. Um, neither is required. So I think that you know, looking at the onset of symptoms, the duration of symptoms, um, the longer duration of systems of symptoms are more cause for concern. Um, cardiac symptoms, so if the, if the athlete had chest pain, palpitations, or exercise intolerance, those are, those are things that, um, that in my mind raise, raise the flag for, you know, let's, let's do a little bit more testing, make sure that, that it's safe for you to go back. But, you know, you really underscore how important it is for all patients, and particularly those with cardiac disease, to take every measure to prevent uh, COVID-19 infection, including, you know, hand washing, mask wearing, social distancing, um, you know, for patients who have recovered from COVID, um, you know, and going back to sports, I mean, encouraging vigilance of, of symptoms, shortness of breath, fatigue, chest pain, and then to seek care for further evaluation. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back with my guest, Dr. Antonio Fernandez, because I want to boil this down to what does it mean for us, meaning parents whose Students may be going back to playing sports. They want to play what's now club football, things such as that. What should you be doing as a parent? How should you be advising your child? You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and my guest today is Dr. Antonio Fernandez, who is a sports cardiologist at Hartford Healthcare and at Hartford Hospital. For more information, his office number is 860-972-3572. Antonio, I guess the real question comes down to what parents should do, uh, not just in the COVID era. So we've talked about how some leagues require screening and screening EKGs, but say you're a parent, you're child's an athlete um is it worth taking on the expense uh, actually minimal expense uh, to have your child see a cardiologist or even just get an ekg from their pediatrician before going out and playing high level sports yeah so that's that's a very controversial issue and obviously you know we do it for patients who have uh you know uh, high risk family history um, or, you know, quite frankly, uh, families who have concerns. Um, and I, I think that that, that, is, um, that is a valid tool. We should use it if we have to. Um, the, the major concern is implementing um, a national program where you would add that uh, to every athlete in the country um, and who will be reading those ECGs. Um, the rate of false positive um, for EKG readings is about 15%, between 10 and 15%, which means that 
the EKG will be abnormal 10 to 15% of the time. And in, in the hands of somebody who is not well-trained or not familiar with, um, you know, the exercise adaptation of the heart, um, might trigger uh, more testing, um, in, incurring, in, incurring in more um, anxiety for the athlete and perhaps more cost um, for, for, the, for the family and certainly for, for the healthcare system. And you raise a good point, and I think that's the point of people going to a cardiologist. If you're an athlete, find a cardiologist who understands athletes because we constantly see right ventricular hypertrophy or uh, left ventricular hypertrophy, rather, in patients who are uh, athletes, and which is a normal finding, but nevertheless will show up. But let's get back to the COVID thing now because – Originally, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 opted not to play football because it would endanger their athletes. And a lot of it came from the cardiac standpoint. And yet now they've changed their minds. But what should parents think now? In Connecticut, the Department of Public Health has said they do not want to have football during with COVID still spreading. And yet parents want their children to play football. I mean, obviously, I think what we're saying is from the data that have been presented, there is a cardiac risk to these young people who are athletes and get COVID. Um, so it doesn't sound like a good idea. Am I reading this right? Yeah, so it's, um, it's, it's interesting. I think that the way, the way things uh, pan out with the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, um, I think the decisions to, to cancel fall sports uh, initially uh, – um, my understanding of it is that it was driven primarily for um, the pandemic reasons, not necessarily for the myocarditis issue in athletes, um, but the fact that athletes out, out there, you know, and their coaches and um, staff and, you know, people with comorbidities and other illnesses that are also involved in sports. Um, so, you know, I think that there are a lot of things that that obviously affect the the spread of disease, and I think that there was a concern um, for sports being sort of the vector for disease spread. Um, you know, I think that the decision to make, um, to shut down sports or continue sports, it, it, it depends a lot on on uh, uh, what measures we have and what metrics we have to, to uh, uh, contain uh, positive cases or detect positive cases. So it depends on each um, individual um, community in testing capabilities and implemented measures that will uh, prevent disease uh, infection and spread and contagion. So basically, um, you know, I think multiple multiple um, factors play into into those decisions. So, the final word uh, from you in, in terms of the cardiac myocarditis, if we detect that in someone who is COVID positive in an athlete, do they get better? Uh, do they need to be placed on medication? What happens next when you diagnose this? Yeah, so when they're diagnosed, um, they have to be on a rest. It shouldn't be exercising because the concern is that exercise will um, exacerbate the infection, uh, increase inflammation, 
and uh, it could trigger, the heart is irritable and it could trigger a deadly arrhythmia. We know pre-COVID that uh, 9% of the sudden cardiac death in athletes in college, uh, college students, um, is due to uh, myocarditis. This is pre-COVID. So we don't really know what it will look like moving forward. I think that, um, you know, all these reports like the Ohio State paper, um, I think they're very important because, um, and we should follow that research closely because we provide better insight into um, into how to move forward with um, with sports and in general with um, with the community. Antonio, thank you for your time today. I know you're busy. I know you're on call, and we really appreciate you sharing your knowledge about this important topic with all my listeners. Uh, thanks thank again. Thank you for buddy. having me. Thank uh, you for having me. It was my pleasure. My pleasure. With that, I want to uh, thank uh, Joe Costa, who's been on the board today. Jeff Chandler's in charge of sales and marketing for Healthy Rounds. Um, next week on Healthy Rounds, we're going to talk a little bit about a different aspect of how COVID-19 is affecting the delivery of health care in this country. If you missed any part of today, you can get it on the Healthy Rounds podcast. You can download that free on iTunes. As a reminder to everybody, we're getting ready for flu season. Your flu shot is most important this year. It's important every year, but this year with COVID, you need to start making your plans, see your physician, start getting the flu shot now, okay, to get the most beneficial effect. Next up on WTIC's Garden Talk with Len. Until next week, this is Dr. Anthony Alessi. Please stay healthy. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi. Sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and Yukon Health Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.